I'm Stephen Adams. This is Down to Doug. I'm, I'm miffed and peeved. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck, part of CLNS Media and DailyThunder.com. Two-part pod today. Yesterday, uh, my good friends, Michele Barra and Fred Katz, recorded a podcast for use. So that will be on today's episode. And then also, the new owners of Daily Thunder, Cray Allred and John Napier, are on the show to discuss kind of their vision for Daily Thunder uh, some new staff members, and then their thoughts on the team. So uh, lots in this show today. So I'm excited to bring those to you. Today's show is brought to you by Peyton Marie Photography. She's at Peyton Marie Photo on Instagram. Her website is PeytonMarie.com. She's an Oklahoma-based wedding photographer, and her main goal is to capture authentic emotion and unforgettable moments through bold and creative images. Her photography style is non-traditional, genuine, and a bit out of the box, and she believes your photos should be a true reflection of who you are and that your wedding photos shouldn't look like anyone else's. Though she's based in OKC, she loves to travel anywhere for destination weddings and elopements. She would like to offer you guys 10% off just for our listeners. It's a great deal. So if you're getting married, if you know someone that's getting married and they need a photographer, Please have them contact Peyton Marie Photography to get 10% off. It's a great deal. So support the people that support Down to Dunk and go to PeytonMarie.com. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Down to Dunk. This is your temporary host, Michele Berra. We are here joined by uh, a dear friend of the pod. Um, we are presented by CLNS Media. Um, the guest is, well... I don't know how to present you. Um, you're just probably the worst uh, writer of puns on Twitter. You are, uh, well, you're my friend. Uh, hello and welcome, Fred Cast. I don't know how to present you anyway. So, I think I'm an elite pun author. I consider myself more of a pun author than a pun writer or pun tweeter. Too that's, artistic. That's, yeah, yeah. So basically... Um, I wanted to have you on first because it's the first time I am the so-called um, – uh, you are the guest and I am the, the host of the pod. And so I, I think we, we never did that. And second, because you recently had a nice trip to Italy and I want to discuss that. I did. I made it to your country. It's a, it's a wonderful place. I got very fat. Uh, how, how, how many pounds? I didn't tell you. Did I tell you this or are you just asking for the sake of the podcast? Uh, no, you didn't. But I listened to you uh, talking to Nate Duncan and you probably revealed the number there. But yes. I want yes. all the no, listeners. I, uh, okay, see. I gained 11 pounds in 13 days. It's <laughs> <laughs> a hell of a time. <laughs> and they say you don't gain that much weight in Italy because all the ingredients are natural and 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 you walk a lot and uh no, I disproved yeah. that. I disproved that. Yeah, yeah, no. It's 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 completely false. I mean, it it really depends. The ingredients are natural, but if you eat like I don't know, a pound of pasta every day, then it probably doesn't matter. Yep, that'll do it. <laughs> 
So uh, since I want you to talk briefly about Italy uh, and then starting to talk about basketball, I have a few questions for you uh, that several Thunder fans ask me to. And so I want to reverse uh, revert the question to you. What's the biggest difference that you found between American and Italian culture in the time you visit here? Um, ooh, the biggest difference? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, can I, sh- should I mention the air conditioning? See. The lack of reliance <laughs> on air conditioning? And how when you're gaining yeah. 11 pounds, the only thing that makes it even more uncomfortable on your body is a culture that's just kind of all mutually decided that air conditioning, even though you, you are you are scientifically capable of having as much as possible, is just totally unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is this is us. Um, the reason why I asked Fred that this is because he's, he was turning off his AC and it's basically a month that I'm not using it because it's not necessary. So, yeah. Um, second question. This will require uh, some more details. Um, favorite Italian food that you had wh- while you were here? Ooh, I went to a spot in Florence called Tripanke which had the most insane rigatoni I've ever had. Explain what rigatoni is. Everyone knows what rigatoni is. Really? Is that common in America? It's extremely common. Oh, okay. Everyone knows rigatoni. Oh, racist. Everyone knows rigatoni. Come on, man. You're not that special. Yeah. We've got pasta here. Well, yeah, it's it's not real. Anyway, so rigatoni. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Uh, last two questions about Italy. Uh, you have to rank these foods. Uh, like first, pastrami. Second, prosciutto crudo. Third, other delis that I clearly don't care as much about. Uh, what was the first one? Pastrami. Oh. Not Italian. I no, just want to rank. It's not Italian. Uh, but, like really good pastrami is still the best. There's no really good pastrami in Oklahoma City. There's oh. none. Uh, really good pastrami, like from a, a great Jewish deli in New York. Really good pastrami is still the best. And, I'm slightly offended. And but, then prosciutto. Um, yeah. Good prosciutto would be second. Um, how much did you enjoy Florence? Would it rank better than your city and or better than the cheese factory you visited when you were here in Italy? <laughs> well, the, che- the cheese factory wasn't that far. It was like in the countryside of uh, of Bologna, so yeah. so the cheese factory wasn't uh, wasn't that far from Florence. It was like uh, an hour away. Yeah, I, you know, you know what, you know what the best. It's really mm-hmm. unbelievable to travel on a high speed rail like anywhere in Europe, and 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 really reinforce how terrible American trains are. Like yeah, how how horrible right. our train system is. Yeah, I, I picked a train once when I was, uh, I think, in Chicago. I was really surprised. Anyway, enough about Italy, enough about travel. We already probably lost half of the regular listener. Everyone um, Yeah. Uh, Every, everyone heard to, you talk down to them and have me explain what rigatoni was. Yeah. And, that's and they were true. like, I'm out. I'm out. This guy thinks rigatoni is exotic. I'm done. Oh yeah, I didn't know that rigatoni existed in uh, like it's a very specific brand of like type of pasta. Like very, common. we have many of them. Very common. Here. Yeah, 
Now I know. Um, in order to introduce the real topic of this podcast, um, I want you to rank these prospects by age. And the, the date, the day and the month actually counts. Uh, Rui Achimura, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Terence Ferguson, Jamorant, and DeAndre Hunter. Okay. Mm. Starts from the youngest. Okay. Nikhil Alexander-Walker is probably the youngest, right? Nope. Is Terence Ferguson the youngest? Is that where we're getting at? Nope. <laughs> That's that, that was... That that's too easy. No, it's not. Okay. this is this is this is set up to to just to just ruin me, and really exactly. show really show how terrible I am at the draft too, and just show how <laughs> how awful I've become at all of this. Uh, so I am going to say, let's see, DeAndre Hunter is twenty one. I know that. Rui yeah. Rui is twenty one. I know that. Yep. Ferg is. I guess he's twenty one now. Yes, um, barely, barely. This is a hint. Who were the other people? Uh, John Morant and Alexander Walker. Uh, so then Ja's got to be the youngest. Yes, Ja's the youngest. Yeah, Ja's got to be the youngest. Uh, then I guess the other guys are all 21. So yeah. then so then it's got to be – then it's got to be Alexander Walker, right? He's like 20? Exactly. He's um, barely 21, September the 2nd, 1998. I know, John Ron is 1999. I know Terrence Ferguson was born on May 17th, 1998, because I have referenced, I have referenced about awesome. 480 times that he was born on the same day <laughs> as David Wells' perfect game. Uh, oh, wow. You probably have no idea who David Wells is. David Wells no, was a – of was course like not. A, he was like a pretty good pitcher for the Yankees in the late 90s into the early 2000s and threw a – Perfect game and on, on May eighteenth, nineteen ninety-eight, the first regular season perfect game in Yankee history. Uh, so I I know that because I was supposed to go to the game that day and it was Beanie Baby Day and I was nine years old and my grandfather got tickets and my mom wouldn't let me go and then David Wells ended up oh. throwing a perfect game and I still hold it against my mom. Um, so I remember that well. So I don't know. Is I don't he younger know when, or when, older than Rui. I'm going to guess he's younger than Rui. Yeah. And, and the under is actually 1997. So uh, almost um, half a year older than, than Ferguson. So the reason why I, I try to embarrass you is because <laughs> I think that when everyone discusses OKC, they say, well, there is Chris Paul, who is a good starter. Gallo is, of course, a great scorer. Then you have Steven Adams. And then you have the great Shea Gilgus Alexander. And no one in the national media, and also, also in the local media, thinks that Ferguson is up for anything but a normal season for a 21-year-old. And I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I mean, he is young. He's in the same age range than many of the draftees of this um, of this last year draft and I think he had like a good season for a 21 year old for a 20 year old and I don't know why no one uh, is expecting something from him well then let me ask you this what do you think his upside is because to this point he's shown to be a guy he's going to be a really really good defender like he could make mm-hmm. he could make all defense teams in his career. Like I could see that. Mm-hmm. 
And he uses his quickness and his athleticism well defensively. He does not mm-hmm. use his athleticism well offensively other than in transition where he runs the floor pretty well. But once you get into a half-court set, he's pretty much just a standstill guy. Every once in a while, you'll see him cut, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But that's more of like an awareness thing than it is a using as, as athleticism, blowing by guys, doing anything with the ball, finishing at the rim, that kind of stuff. Like he'll finish hard and athletically at the rim, but when there's nobody there on the break or something like that. So like – I feel like until he's able to do stuff with the ball, maybe he's able to run a pick and roll, not as like a primary running the offense guy, but just as like even your tertiary ball handler. Until he's able to do mm-hmm. that, until he's able to maybe finish over slight traffic at the rim, something like that, like his, his upside is always going to be limited. That doesn't mean he's not going to be a good player, but that just means like you see DeAndre Hunter and you're like, that dude is going to defend really well and he's going to defend a million different positions and he'll be able to score around the rim and pick and roll and all those sorts of things. And you can see the upside with him and you Mm -hmm. can see maybe he can build some more skills. You can with Rui for the sake of it, because we haven't seen upside or downside and because he didn't start playing basketball until he was 47 years old. (laughs) Like you can see the upside with that and you can see the fluidity and, how well he shot from 18 feet and all those sorts of things. And, and, and you can see why you might believe that there's upside. Um, and with Ferguson, I think it's really hard to project that upside considering he's been around for two years. And, and we saw a jump last year in his shooting. And we saw a jump in his court awareness. And we certainly saw a jump with him defensively where he was very – he was excellent for the first like 55 games. I didn't think mm-hmm. he was quite as good for the last third of the season. You watched him more than me. Uh, it's not like he yeah, was terrible, yeah. but I didn't think he was like elite good like he was the first two-thirds of the year. And I thought that was part of the reason why their defense kind of fell off from being as great as it was over the first yeah. 60 games or so. Uh, but but that yeah, upside is hard to project, and I think that's why. Yeah, I think, I think there was a combination of uh, him being not as good and – Paul George really dropping in terms of defensive effectiveness. And we know that OKC's rotations are quite hard to do. You have to be crisp. Everyone uh, on the court needs to do his step. And if one uh, player doesn't do that, uh, doesn't do what he's supposed to, then everyone, everything uh, starts to collapse here and there. And I agree. I mean, he he's not yet uh, on the level of under Robertson or uh, any great defensive stopper in this league. But I think that we really have to take into account the age and the fact that he he was pretty raw uh, in his rookie season. We, we had like many uh, private talks about him uh, being a wasted pick, maybe being someone who did, we didn't know if he could contribute. And then there was that game against the Lakers where he showed like pull-up game, shooting trees, being a confident player, and then nothing again. And then last season, he was a competent starter um, for 74 games, uh, shooting well above league average, well, above league average, 36.6%. There aren't many 20-year-olds that can be good defenders and effective shooter. But going to your point about the, the ball ending skills, which I think are very relevant when we evaluate a player, there is a different thing I, uh, to, to consider 
when you discuss um, a prospect of OKC. If you have Russell Westbrook on the court, you have to take shots. Like the, if you get the ball with, um, with some space, you have to take the shot. There's no way you can dribble the ball. We know the reasons, mainly because a good open tree is, tree is always the greatest shot that you can take. And B, because if you don't shoot, you probably won't see the ball again for the entire game or roughly that. So I wonder how much of that goes into him not taking too many things off the dribble and focus himself on being a great floor spacer, which he was, uh, I would say, uh, for the most part of the season. I think that's fair. I mean, I think that's totally fair. But at the same time, like we've seen them give him the ball a little bit every once in a while. Like it was, it was last year at Summer League. They mm-hmm. kind of handed him the ball and they were like, all right, initiate offense. Let's see what you can do. And he didn't look mm-hmm. good. And I think that's why everybody went into the season being like, you know what, I'm out on Terrence Ferguson. He was terrible in Summer League. But how they used yeah. them in Summer League was somewhere between an experiment of let's see if we can get him some experience doing this when it doesn't matter and if he makes mistakes, who cares? And mm-hmm. and like an actual tryout of if he's good at this, he's going to do it more in the regular season. And he wasn't good at it. So they didn't have him do that role. So the fact that like he struggled on that in Summer League after year one – I mean, you know, you don't want to read too much into Summer League, and you mm-hmm. also don't want to make such extreme sweeping statements, but, like, it's not encouraging for him ever to being, like, really good at that. Like, sure, he can develop it and get better at it. He's 21. Anyone can get better. Like, of course, and he's got natural ability, but, like, it's going to be – it would surprise me if he ever got really good at it just because we've seen no evidence that he's even decent at it yet. Like I, I haven't really seen him go around and and have that have that feel, have that flow when he has the ball. And he has the athletic ability. I mean, the dude is yeah. super athletic, but but that's more than athletic ability. You know, it's yes. and it's more than skill too. Like it's it's cadence and it's feel. And and he's got to develop that. Which which maybe he develops more of it. You know, what's going to be really interesting with him this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So OKC had this really, really aggressive defense last year, which which in some ways kind of reminded me of the old Clippers defense the first couple of years with Doc Rivers, where mm-hmm. when they are rotating well, it looks gorgeous. And when the rotations yes. are off, it looks like nobody knows what they're doing because exactly. it's all based on – Man number one is going to be aggressive, and thus man number two has to recover from man number one, and thus man number three has to recover from man number two. And when they all hit the rotations at the same moment, when they're cohesive, it looks unbelievable. And that's what happened at so many moments in the first two-thirds of last year. And when it doesn't, it goes to crap. And I wonder – it works really well when you have Paul George. I wonder mm-hmm. – Chris Paul is still a good defensive player. He's still a legitimately good defensive point guard. And it's funny that I mentioned those Doc Rivers Clippers because Chris Paul was probably the best defensive player on those teams. And they had DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, too, I remember but. him guarding guarding KD pretty well in, I think, 2013-14 playoffs. Game, that was game four. Five. Four. four. And was it 
was it in in that LA? Was, yeah, I no, so. that was yeah, that was no, that was in Oklahoma City. That was Game Four. Mm. No, it was Game mm. Game was Five. Game three was in LA. No, Game well, Five. Game Five was the one that Chris Paul that Chris Paul had the meltdown at the end, and they they fell down three two, and then lost the series in six back in LA. Yeah. Well, so, I remember like several possessions of, of him guarding whatever KD yeah, pretty well. For, for a fourth quarter, like Chris Paul, but Chris Paul is also such a disciplined defensive point guard. I wonder if they are going to defend completely differently this year because they don't have the Paul George type of wing. Gallinari obviously is not like that if he's going to be stepping into the lineup for Paul George. And now they go from this kind of freelancing, gambling, now I do what I want point guard to discipline bulldog Chris Paul, who is still who is not the best defensive point guard in the league anymore, but is still legitimately good <laughs> defensively. And I wonder how that's going to affect how they use Steven Adams as a pick and roll guy. I wonder, I assume without Paul George, because they don't have Paul George, you know, I don't know how Andre Robertson's going to fit into this. And I don't know how what kind of player Andre Robertson, what kind of physical shape he's going to be in. Uh but I wonder how they use Steven Adams. I, I wonder how they use Chris Paul. Are the pick and roll defense is going to be differently? Is 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 are the, are the way they is the way they rotate going to be differently? Are they going to be as aggressive? Is Steven Adams going to come up as high on ball screens? Like I don't know the answers to any of these things. I don't really know what they should do, but the personnel is so different, and the the strengths of the personnel is shifted in so many different places on the court that's going to be super interesting to see how Billy Donovan kind of redesigns this defense because he has an opportunity to totally change what he's done and I'm very interested to see what like he and the coaching staff decide to do yeah I mean I think that you have um different uh, personnel for sure uh my bet is that Gallinari will replace effectively Grant in the starting lineup, not not Paul George. I I think Ferg will start at the three, so you have like basically two six 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 seven guys uh, in Shea and him uh, on the wings. Granted, no one has the size to defend a real three. Like who guards Paul George? Who guards Kawhi? Uh, these are great questions to have. But going back to your point about Steven Adams, I wondered myself if this is the year where you can finally start to drop a little bit more Steven Adams and see how he can affect more at the rim. Because one of the things that that are in the air about Steven Adams is that he is not a great rim protector, which is like if you look at the blocks, surely he is not one of the greatest. But I wonder him dropping and being more um, close to the rim if it, if it will improve the perception that we have on him as a defender. That's true. That's true. It's I mean, part of the stuff with the Steven Adams rim protection numbers is that he ventures so far from the rim so often. Mm-hmm. So if he doesn't do that as much, presumably you would believe it would help the rim protection numbers because he would just be more – he wouldn't have to run as much. He wouldn't have to run mm-hmm. as far in order to run and contest – those uh those balls so yeah i'm not even talking about the block stuff but just like how opponents shoot at the rim when he's on the floor or on shots that he can test and that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. yeah i mean this is going to be a very interesting season for steven adams uh especially if chris paul doesn't stick around he's a guy who like we always talk about so had great chemistry with westbrook and 
is so dependent on having a point guard offensively to get him those lobs and dump offs and floaters. And it's, I'm very, this is the season where we get to see what Steven Adams' defensive rebounding numbers are going to be. Like, this is the yeah. season where we get to see if Steven Adams is going to average eight defensive rebounds a game instead of averaging more offensive rebounds than defensive rebounds for the third year in a row. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. Yeah, but I wonder, though, if Billy will try to use Shea as transition initiator and so give him m- more rebounds um, using Steve as, as basically the blocker. Uh, surely, I think his numbers on free throws will, will rise a bit because Steven was probably dead last in terms of bigs that rebounds on uh, missed free throws. Uh, that for sure. But I, I don't know. I mean, even Steven, I mean, we, we always loved him as a player. Um, last year was kind of disappointing, but I cannot pinpoint a reason why it was like that. Was it, was it, was the fact that, uh, he was used in a different way was the fact that Russ shooting was basically by January, everyone guarded the pick and roll in a different way. And so the space for Steven is not there. And how much having guys like Gallo and Chris Paul for maybe two, three months of the season can increase his production, can can open space for him and, and thus, far, thus far increasing his numbers. It could work. I mean, his numbers – here's the thing. Like, Steven Adams is never going to be a guy who shoots a lot. It's just mm-hmm. not within his personality type. He's not going to do that. I still maintain that at some point he's going to shoot threes. I've been saying that for like four years. Yeah, three years, yeah me too. However long it's I been. At some myself, point – he's only 26 years old. We talk about people who are surprisingly yeah. young. He's only 26. He's been around for 18 years. He's only 26 years old. At some point, he's going to shoot threes. Everyone shoots threes now. Everyone shoots threes. Jan Mahimi, she's shooting threes. Jan Mahimi made three threes last year. And not like end of yeah. the, none of them were end of the shot clock running out, put them up. They were within the rhythm of the offense, Jan Mahimi corner threes. Actually, one of them was an above the break three. It was the yeah. last game of the season. And it was the most exciting moment of the year for me. <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Wizards were great last season. And, well, great enough to beat the Thunder on a very important game in January, by the way. Um, anyway, going back a little bit on Ferg, and then maybe we can uh, point back on a few questions that I want to ask you about with your project- projections about records and Chris Paul and Gallo and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I was looking into Ferguson's shooting distribution and... Basically, when he shot from the corner or from the wing on the right side of the court, he's uh, 49.3 on the corner and 39.1 on above the break uh, three on the on the right side. Can you guess how much of a drop he has when he shoots from the left side of the court? Oof. Like from the corner. What's so the percentage? What, what percentage did you say he was from the corner? 49.3, right corner. Oh, 49.3 from the right corner, and he's 39 from – oh, God, so he must be like 20% from the left corner. 
Yeah, he's 33% from the left corner and 31% on above the break threes on the oh, left. Oh, he's 31 above the break on the left. Okay, that's why do you think yeah. that is? Why do you think that is that he's so much better from the right side of the court? It's got to be something less to do with him and more to do with the Thunder's offense, right? I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's the pass that you take. I mean, a um, little reminder that we did uh, a research on passing accuracy and when you ru- you run a pick and roll on the right then it, it usually mean that your weak uh, side is the is the left one and the ball travels longer and so probably the defense has a little bit more time to recover so maybe uh, you can justify it that way but still it's quite peculiar to see such a drop-off between one corner and the other you may you may see like five percent of difference between one and the other but here it's 16 percent, and i i have no idea i mean here's uh, my point, here's my yeah. here's my irresponsible theory which i'm throwing out there and i have no idea if the numbers or the film backs this up uh russell is better going left than he is going right mm-hmm. and he likes to go left more than he likes to go right yeah. so maybe he's just when he goes right, he's not opening him up as much on the left side as when he goes left, and he's opening him up better on the right. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good theory, by the way. Um, I or maybe Russell, I if we go worked. back to the pass accuracy, maybe he's throwing better passes from the left side, and and maybe yeah. some of those passes are just coming off target, and Ferguson's missing more. Because I think yeah. it's safe to assume that the pass the passes for Ferguson corner threes are all coming from Russell Westbrook. Yeah, most likely. I mean, him and Schroeder are the only one, but um, uh, I think that the majority is from Russell. I, I have to check, but but it seems like a reasonable assumption to have. Um, another thing that I really want to see from uh, the team next season is how many trees is Ferguson take taking like uh, on a regular basis? Because I think that the amount it's important for players like him. If you can, if you can uh, take like five, six, seven trees a game if you're an NBA player and shooting them at a 37, 38% range, your value is completely different than the one that Ferguson has today. Because if you if you take three, three and a half, I remember Stan Van Gandhi talking about the, the volume. Um, he was speaking about Hal Horford being a threat from three. He said, yeah, but there's no way Al takes 10 of them. Whereas if you have a shooter that regularly takes six, seven, eight, then you really have to guard him because that guy, if he's out, he will take like 10, 12 trees and you're in big troubles. And so I wonder if this development only increases the value of Ferguson enough that you can reconsider him as a, as a long-term prospect just based on the fact that he shoots with that um, size, he can shoot like eight, nine trees a game, six, nine, whatever, uh, and being more valuable that way. Yeah, that's a great point. He's like volume is is going to be huge for him. I mean, again, when he doesn't have Russell there, let's see what happens with his volume. There are going to be more shots to go around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that, that was basically and Paul uh, George. my point. And Paul George, high usage guy too. They got a lot of shots to make up for. Yeah, I mean, Gallo will take some. Uh, CP3 will take some. Of course, OKC will want to give the ball to Shea. Uh, but I wonder if Ferg will be able to take like six threes per game on average. And that that thing only can um, 
can change the way we are looking at him as a as a prospect today. Okay, um, it is a short podcast today, but uh, before letting you go, I want to know uh, your prediction on OKC's record and if and when OKC will trade uh, the most anticipated guy, uh, Gallinari and, and Chris Paul. Uh, I'm going to guess like 30 to 32 wins. Hmm. You're uh, pretty low on that. I am, but it's because I'm assuming they're going, I, I'm assuming they're trading Gallinari. Um, mm-hmm. and Can you guess a return, a return for him? Like would, would you, if he plays like he did last year, you're getting a first for Gallinari. How good of a first? Like Portland first or maybe a low-end playoff team in the East? I don't know. Well. Detroit, something like that. I think it depends. I haven't like scouted out his market. So I'm trying to better think of like who are teams. If everyone's season goes exactly how we think everyone's season is going to go, who would want him in February? Uh, the Spurs? The Spurs. Yeah, he. that's a good one. That's a very good one. I think you could get a first from the Spurs, but that's probably like the twentieth pick. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously this, you gotta figure out contracts and money and and all that stuff. And I don't think that that is particularly hard. You can concoct no. a trade for him. He he, um, he, he, he makes what again? Uh, twenty one, twenty two, twenty one. It's not super easy. Yeah, so you can basically take back two mid level. Worthy guys. Yeah. Yeah. And that could work. Um, would, would you do that if you're the Spurs? Would you give up Derek White for him? No, probably not. Uh, I mean, at, well, it depends on how uh, DeJounte is. If DeJounte is like mm-hmm. awesome this year, then yeah, I'm more willing to do that. If he comes back okay. and he looks totally unfazed by the ACL and, and he's great and Derek White's just kind of off the bench and the Spurs are winning 65% of their games and Gallinari can play the four and stretch for them and all that stuff. And yeah, he's, he's very Spursy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And that could, I think that could make sense, but that doesn't work salary wise. You still need to find more. Maybe the Thunder could finally get Rudy Gay after all this. Yeah. I mean, you, you can, it's, it's, of course it doesn't really matter for OKC, whatever, what, what salary you get back and, Unless it's uh, well, the it's years are more important. Years, right? Yeah, the so years like are more Gay's important. Got I don't two have... years. Oh yeah. Oh, still two years. Yeah. Then maybe no. Then maybe you you need a little bit more in terms of assets to make it work. Because to be honest, I mean, even if it's two year, you don't care. And like, if you have good assets, you can you can put like fifteen millions in your salary cap. You won't be able to uh, to take like other dumps but if if the price is good enough i think that uh, you could make it work so chris paul right. uh, same thing philadelphia would make a lot of sense for him by the way i don't know what the hell the yeah. trade would be yeah i wondered like zer zer smith maybe but but i don't like the fit with the thunder um yeah the, a pick from and, and the salaries are weird sense. because they just kind of all invested in like five guys of decent yeah. salaries like it'd be really hard to do without Josh Richardson and, and and Philly wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, maybe Miami. Um if, if things are are going sure. great for them, like say that they are um 6th or 5th uh in the east, maybe want to make a push. 
Um, I think that you can get like a bad salary, Olenek maybe, and Tyler Hero. Maybe you have to give in a second round pick to make it a little bit less uh, for Miami. Like you gave Gallo in a second round pick for Hero and uh, whatever uh, filler you need to to take and Olenek. Something like that. I mean, I think it can work. Uh, what about what about Chris Paul? What are the odds for you that OKC actually keeps him for the entire season? I think I feel like they're going to work something out. It just it just seems mm-hmm. mutually beneficial to work something out with Miami. I don't know what it's going to end up being. I don't know what they're going to have to include to sweeten the deal or what kind of contracts they're going to have to take on. It just feels to me like it makes too much sense if if one guy. My rule of thumb is if a guy is playing on a team and the team he's on doesn't want him and wants to trade him to another team and that other team wants him, more often than not, a trade's going to get worked out. Like you can so you think that something. Miami actually wants him? Yeah. It's within Miami's culture to want him. They go star hunting. Yeah. It's within yeah. Miami's culture to want him. I don't think that they... I'm not saying the Thunder are going to get back three first round picks for him. No, I, no, no, I don't no. think that's happening. But I think I think some sort of deal will be worked out to where Miami ends up with Chris Paul at some point, like by February. It's my okay. guess. It's a total guess, by the way. We will probably blame you if this doesn't happen. Then it'll completely be my fault. <laughs> well. Fred, thanks for joining me uh, tonight here in Italy and afternoon probably uh, in New York. Thank you for taking your time and discussing a few things with me. And please plug your stuff. Yeah, so um, listen to Wizards After Dark because I know everyone on this Thunder podcast is just dying to hear a Wizards podcast. Uh, You can subscribe on iTunes to that. You can read me on The Athletic. You can subscribe to The Athletic, $5 a month. We have awesome Thunder content. Brett Dawson is fantastic, and we have great NBA content in general with Shams and Sam Amick and a million other great people and great beat writers and uh, is worth subscribing. And you can just get killer Wizards coverage, just the best Wizards (laughs) coverage you're going to get anywhere. So you can subscribe to that. Uh, And that's it. Oh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Fred Katz. K-A-T-Z. Well, not if you don't want to read puns, apparently. They're great puns. Because you don't – you won't stop, right? I'll never stop. I'm relentless. <laughs> I can't wait for the season to start. Well, thank you all for listening to Down to Dunk. Please um, rate our show on on iTunes. You just have to go there, um, touch on the purple app. Five stars, and this will help a lot uh, the show. We will talk to you next on Wednesday. Our second sponsor is KP's Cleaning Services. They're a local Oklahoma-based business serving the metro area and surrounding areas. So if you live in that area, you need to call them, 290-8172, because... Your house is going to be immaculate. I walked into my house after they've cleaned. And and let me tell you, my wife and I, we run a pretty tight ship. It's a clean house. It's not a dirty house. But the difference between the way that I clean and the way they clean, there's just no contest. It's KP clean. It's amazing. 
We've had people comment on, how did you get your house so clean? Like, I didn't. KP's cleaning service did that. So give them a call. You can get 10% off the month of September on your first cleaning if you give them a call. 290-8172. They're also on Facebook and Instagram under KP's Cleaning Service. Great people and do a fantastic job of cleaning homes. So support the people that support Down to Dunk. Go check out KP's Cleaning Services. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. We're part of CLNS Media and DailyThunder.com. And with me today are the new owners of DailyThunder.com, John Napier and Cray Allred. I'll start with Cray. Cray, how's it going, man? And I, I just want you to give me your kind of thoughts on acquiring Daily Thunder and then maybe your vision, and then we'll go to John. And John, actually, John, just feel free to just jump in whenever, because I think this is kind of probably a story that involves both of you guys. Um, really glad to have you on the show and uh, excited for this new era of Daily Thunder. Yeah, actually, John, don't interrupt me, please. <laughs> no, just <laughs> uh, no, thanks, Andrew. Uh, yeah, this is Cray, Cray Allred, uh, one half of the new ownership of Daily Thunder. Uh, first off, thanks for inviting us to be on the podcast this morning and kind of give um, your listeners a you know background of what we're trying to do at the site. So uh, I'm a, a longtime struggle podcaster, struggle freelance writer, all those, you know, blog boy, Kevin Durant might call me. Um, and I've kind of waxed and waned, gone in and out of different uh, sports writing, among other things, um, but uh, have been persistently, you know, uh, intensely interested in the Thunder uh, for a long time. And uh, have have written a little bit for Daily Thunder in the past, and was always a reader. And uh, so, basically, with the kind of uh, replenish, uh, retool, not rebuild yet, uh, mm-hmm. that is uh, upon us uh, for the new Thunder era. Uh, you know, we we uh, just approached Royce, and you know, he's um, obviously got cool things going on at a national level, and. Um, the the thunder as a team and probably uh, daily thunder as a website we kind of see it just kind of um retooling you know kind of uh embracing the new the new era here and as the the team gets uh younger and moves on from kind of the the peaks of the 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 superstar area era that it had been in that we want to kind of follow follow along and and be a place where readers can you know engage with that that where we want might not have uh western conference finals appearance anytime soon but we'll have lots of draft picks and trade speculation and developing projects and uh all of that so th- those are kind of how we want to serve our readers is by uh paying close attention to all that yeah and um this is john i would add that i guess my voice this is a really exciting time to um, be producing Thunder content if you're a hardcore fan of the team. So for many fans who have passing interests who probably only go to games to see winning teams, um, you know they're, they're going to have to wait a while to see the product that they've seen in the past. But you know for hardcore fans, getting to embrace the rebuild or the replenish movement, getting to 
embrace seeing new talent come through, trade speculations, Cray mentioned, draft picks. Um, this is something that a Thunder fan really hasn't experienced before because it's always had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook uh, or James Harden or some of the other more notable players who have come through, Paul George. Um, and now kind of everything is, is laid out differently than in the past where it's, um, I, I guess, a, a unique moment in Thunder history. So when you're producing content, you get to kind of view that from the fan perspective that we do um, running Daily Thunder, but we're also going to have um, you know, more of a journalism bent to it. So we're going to be able to have the ability to you know, go to games and have a beat reporter there. We're going to be able to go to uh, press conferences and be able to report there. So we're going to have an eye on the team that the, th- the fan isn't going to have and be able to contribute that perspective to our readership. That's awesome. I think you guys are, are spot on when it comes to the kind of the time that we're in right now. Cause some people will be like, well, sorry about the thunder, man. Like they died or something. It's like, sorry. Like that's really not the case. Like this is, you're right. It's a unique opportunity to kind of move into this new era that thunder fans haven't been in yet. Like they haven't been in this situation yet. And I think that the people that stick with it like this, I think have a really great opportunity to kind of rise through that. So, um, I'm excited for what you guys are going to do. Uh, you guys want to talk about people that are going to be on the staff for Daily Thunder, uh, and then we'll move into talking about the team? Sure, yeah. So, uh, John mentioned uh, we will have a beat reporter, Brandon Raber, um, who has uh, a pretty good background in Oklahoma City sports coverage uh, and is going to be, uh, you know, the – the eyes and ears, uh, for daily thunder. Um, me and me and John will be, you know, involved as, um, site runners and we'll write and edit and whatnot. But, uh, Brandon really, and, uh, Olivia Panchel, uh, will be, uh, another featured writer. She'll be our senior writer. And, um, a lot of other familiar faces. We're kind of working out with a lot of folks, uh, you know, uh, reconnecting and, and kind of bridging from, uh, previous uh, Daily Thunder eras to now. So really we just want to kind of keep the game together. But those two will be our kind of uh, lead writers uh, as we start the season. That's great. John, you need you want to add anything to that? Uh, no. Crazy expert on, on staffing. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I think it sounds great. I'm really excited. I think it's going to be... Uh, Really great. I've loved Daily Thunder for a long time, just like everybody else has. And um, I'm excited to kind of see you guys push it uh, in a new direction. So uh, let's talk about the team. Let's talk about pr- specifically Chris Paul. So Sham Sharania had a, it's not really a report, but he had this little blurb about the Miami Heat in an article that he wrote saying that the Heat have a level of interest in Chris Paul. Which is a weird thing, because I have a level of interest in almost everything, and I don't know how high of a level of interest the Heat have in this, and I don't... I have a level of interest in eating mushrooms, but I don't really like mushrooms that much, but I have a small level of interest. So I don't know really what this means, or if this means anything, but uh, I'm sure you guys have read this report, because you guys do the bolts, and you guys see almost everything. Uh, we'll start with John. Like, what are, your, what are your thoughts on this report, and like a potential 
Chris Paul trade to Miami? Yeah, I don't really think it's news. Uh, over the summer, there was reporting interest that the Heat had in Chris Paul. So to have a report that says that the Heat are interested in Chris Paul is nothing new or notable. Uh, I'm going to expect that the team is going to be listening to offers for Chris Paul, especially with the uh, large amount of salary that he is owed uh, this year and in future years. But this doesn't really look any yeah, yeah, like Cray. What would, if you could put together a trade? What would be like your expectation for what that would look like with Miami? Oh boy, I don't want to get off on the wrong foot for people hearing me the first time. Um, <laughs> uh, I so I so my baseline for Chris Paul trade would just be um, not coughing up assets to go along with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think someone like Tyler Hero is. Uh, you know, a likely reality. Sure. Um, maybe a package of parts like Dion waiters or (laughs) those kind of level players that are really more, uh, neutral salary filler than, you know, much in the way of assets, you know, maybe some protections, some heavy protections on some picks as well. Um, but I, I just, uh, don't get the sense from any of the reporting that there is, um, you know, a bounty out there for Chris Paul, at least right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I think that, you know, the level of interest is probably just as lukewarm from the Thunder side as it is from the heat. Uh, because there's just, you know, not a lot of payoff, especially if, you know, the heat are expecting an asset back. I don't think the Thunder are at all eager to, you know, cough up assets that they've been collecting just to move someone. So, yeah, no, I think yeah, I think there's no question about that. That the team's going to be patient, and not because, like like you said, that they think they're going to get a huge, you know, deal for Chris Paul. But I do think that they would like to. I think that they have an opportunity with Miami to kind of break up his salary because if you do get Dion Waiters and Kelly Olynyk and guys like that to bring back, yeah, you're not going to be excited about that. But it's going to be a heck of a lot easier to trade like a Dion Waiters on an expiring contract than it is you know, forty million dollars of Chris Paul's deal. And so, to me, like just the opportunity to break up the salary. If you're not giving up a first round pick and you get to break up the salary, I think that that's a win for the Thunder. I don't, John. I don't know what your feelings on that are. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know what the Thunder got for Paul George is unprecedented. And, and even what they got for Russell Westbrook um, is pretty significant considering his salary that's owed. So, yeah, it's it's going <coughs> to be uh, really whatever they can get that's not going to uh, jeopardize long-term salary considerations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Uh, okay, so I think the question now, like, who's, like who are the pieces moving forward? And I think you start with Shea Gilders-Alexander. Uh, Craig, to you, is Shea Gilders-Alexander a piece moving forward or the piece moving forward? Okay, again, I might get in trouble here, but um, I've I've been, um, you know, reading between the lines and paying as close attention as possible to everything uh, Sam Pe- Presti has said regarding, you know, this new phase. And he has stopped short of... Uh, calling 
SGA a a building block or a franchise piece or you know any of those kind of like flag in the ground. This is our guy forever terms. So I think he is a building block. You know, obviously the best asset they have, um, and but probably one that they are not. You know, this is who are we're hitching our franchise to, no matter what. Um, I think they're excited about him and, um, you know, want him to pan out, obviously, as they would uh, any young piece they got as a, you know, a major uh, star for the Thunder. But I'm not convinced that they view him as, you know, that's a, that's a done deal. It's settled and that he will forever be untouchable even. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, jo- John, we talking about younger guys what what other younger guys do you see as long-term pieces for this team because uh, I think that really anybody can be had on this roster as far as a trade goes but if you were to predict any of these other young guys to kind of build into this next Thunder era is is there one that sticks out to you yeah I would say that uh, Darius Baisley is probably somebody that the team well I think the team loves Darius Baisley. They love his work ethic. They love his potential. And I think they see him as a long-term piece um, with the Thunder. You know, so also Hamadou, um, mm-hmm. I think they really are high on his potential and his ability. And I think that's what the team's going to be looking for is somebody who can grow into a position, not somebody who's really established, somebody they can develop into you know, sort of the Thunder basketball model. Uh, so while I completely agree with Cray and what you said that nobody's really untouchable and you know, somebody like Shea, who's the centerpiece of that trade, um, is probably not untouchable. Some of the guys that were homegrown picks like Baisley and Hamadou are probably going to be as close to building blocks as the Thunder have right now. Mm-hmm. For some reason, Terrence Ferguson is like getting lost this summer. Like I think people forget that he's like even on the team, uh, and he started last year for most of the season and had some really good months and had some really poor months shooting the basketball. Uh, but what are, the, what are the expectations for him? And do you see him as a long-term piece? We'll start with Cray. I'm, uh, I have been proven quite wrong on Terrence Ferguson last season, at least. Um, I was of the... Uh, Billy Donovan, what are you doing playing, Ter- starting Terrence Ferguson uh, for a good portion of the season before, you know, his defensive impact uh, and, you know, a little bit of shooting ability uh, started to kind of pay off. So I actually have come around a good bit on him. Um, he's definitely, um, I mean, he's super young. And I think, so that's the thing to me on uh, evaluating any player that, the age column is just as <laughs> just as uh, important almost as any other, you know, measurable I think you have for a player. So Terrence Ferguson being super young is really important. And um I I, I think he could he could uh really you know, they've they've been wanting to develop him more as uh, you know, something of a playmaker, like in last year's summer league, give him some of those responsibilities didn't really go well and uh, developing like that alongside Russell Westbrook is, you know, extra challenging. So I'm, 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 uh, you know, I think he's a, a positive player 
and definitely think there's some potential there. And I, I'm sure they're going to, you know, give him all the opportunities in the world to turn into that kind of player. Yeah, John, th- you have thoughts? Yeah, I forget about Terrence Ferguson. Um, he is, I think, a really valuable asset. He played his role extremely well last year, I think above expectations. But expanding beyond that role is a huge unknown. You know, his, he's got a lot of value as a potential third player. And um, I, I guess that's going to be my assumption that's his ceiling is a third banana, not the first banana. Uh, so the team should be looking for guys who can be that initial playmaker and create opportunities. And a guy like Terrence can thrive um, with the right playmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that that kind of segues us into kind of Chris Paul and, and this group a little bit. Uh, because I think that we we can catch ourselves in this weird conversation where it sounds like we think that things could be better than they have been with Chris Paul rather than with Russell Westbrook because you could say, like, oh, Chris Paul can shoot it and he's really good at orchestrating the offense and kind of slowing things down a little bit and I think he'll be a great pick-and-roll partner for Steven Adams. And you could say all these things that make it seem like the team's going to be better when in all reality we know they're not. They're going to be different. Uh, I think as the roster currently constructed, they could be a good team. But we also know that like they're not. this is not the team. Like This is not the team that we're rooting for. Uh, but... Cray, like, what do you think Chris Paul is going to be like with this group? Uh, I think that we'll have Chris Paul for a little while. Uh, but but how do you see him uh, helping out the, the players that are on this current roster? So, it's a, you know, this is a cool uh, thought experiment that people will, you know, on Twitter and dumb arguments, you know, throughout. We'll swap Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook and see who does better you know, while standing for their, their favorite player. So it's kind of interesting from that angle. Although, I mean, part of the thing is that I actually do think uh, Chris Paul's impact is being uh, somewhat underrated. Um, but, you know, it wasn't just Westbrook that left. It was Paul George and Jeremy Grant. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, it, the, the starting lineup that was so, uh, you know, so much of the, the strength of the team last year is, you know, gone for the most part. Um, so Chris Paul, I, I like, uh, I mean, health is, you know, availability is probably the biggest, uh, downgrade in my mind from Westbrook since Westbrook just, uh, always plays, uh, and Chris Paul does not. Um, I think, uh, as a, uh, floor, uh, general, he is, uh, you know, kind of like wildly different styles with Westbrook. Um, but maybe kind of a similar overall impact for this team. The team is, um, you know, it's always been short on shooting. It's been kind of um, got some angular two-dimensional pieces that um, are kind of tough to fit around each other. So Westbrook, you know, his part of his strength was just kind of bashing it all together and pushing the pace and finding, you know, opportunities where there wouldn't be in the half court. And then, uh, for Chris Paul, you know, he's the other side of that coin where he's not going to be, um, you know, sprinting up and down uh, the court and transition all game. But 
uh, you know, he will be prodding the defense, you know, a very savvy uh, floor reader, uh, figuring out, you know, uh, beyond just a guy sitting in the corner and waiting uh, to get kicked out to, but actually kind of setting up people uh, in, the, you know, the most uh, optimal spots for them. And I think Chris Paul, you know, enjoys that and makes a project out of it. Um, so I think on offense, they'll be pretty, uh, I think it'll be a pretty similarly limited Thunder offense that relies a lot on a port guard, you know, kind of imposing his will. I will say on defense, I think that, um, again, with with some amazing defenders leaving and uh, George and Jeremy Grant, uh, I don't think the defense will be, uh, have the same ceiling as it did. But I would say game to game, night to night, uh, Chris Paul is obviously a more uh, disciplined defender than Westbrook. Maybe not as electric. Um, not going to uh, have as many flashy defensive highlights or crazy steals to you know bail you out of a late game situation. But you know possession to possession, discipline, uh, communication. I think um, that will be. Uh, we'll see. We'll see that. Uh, you know, positively impact uh, the other players on the team kind of. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious to see really what Donovan does with that. You know, there's been a lot of uh, scrambling baked into the Thunder defense um, in, in years past. And I'm, I'm curious to see if that changes with, um, you know, more of a, uh, a steady defender like Chris Paul versus more of the uh, electric kind of dynamic, but sometimes erratic, you know, waning attention of Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if I can add too, yeah, I think yeah. Chris Paul's value is going to be um, on court value as much as his off the court value. Uh, I I know Chris Paul is not always viewed favorably by fans uh, not of the Houston Rockets previously, but um, you see him this summer working out, working hard, wearing Thunder T-shirts, you know, buying in going to the memorial doing all the things that he needs to do to demonstrate that he's bought in and so he's going to have a real leadership role for this team because of the age of you know the bulk of the roster is really young you know basically he's 19 hammy's 21 uh terrence is 21 shay's 21 I mean, these are all really young players and chris paul showing his work ethic um showing what it means to be a leader on a team you know, I think his value is going to extend there more than it's going to be on the court because really every win the Thunder piles up is a negative for the future because if they make the playoffs, which is unlikely, but if they were to make the playoffs, they lose their draft pick um, in 2020. And I think we'd like to keep our first round draft pick. Um, you know, moreover, you know, Chris Paul is still a talented player and he probably uh, makes the floor a lot higher than it would be if he weren't on the team. But, you know, the value that he can provide is that leadership quality, the intangible value of being an experienced NBA player who has, I guess, been really good for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, so I, the Thund- Thunder fans find themselves in this complicated spot not only with Chris Paul, because I think there's like this history with Chris Paul with the Clippers and with the Rockets where he's just not been a likable guy to the fan base. And so like now they now he's our guy, and that feels weird. 
not only that, but Russell Westbrook is a Houston Rocket. And I guess my question is, are are you guys rooting for the Rockets this year? John, you start. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, I am. You know, and I'm, as far as like rivalries and opposing teams, I guess I never really root for teams to lose. I care about my team winning. So I guess I've never really hoped that the Rockets were bad or really that the Warriors were bad per se. But, you know, this year is exciting because there is so much talent that's been spread around the NBA instead of these um, three-headed monsters. You've got, you know, the two-star teams that are out there. So the competition level is is up. So it's going to be fun to watch the Clippers. It's going to be fun to watch the Rockets. And and really because of the way that uh, Westbrook stayed and then the way that he left and the relationship that all the fans have to him, I think it's a no-brainer that I'm going to root for the Rockets as are most of the Thunder fan base. And they're really not going to be in competition with the Thunder because, as I said, it would be detrimental to the future of the Thunder if they start winning a lot anyway. Yeah, I was kind of setting you up. I thought we were going to announce that we were renaming the site Daily Rockets uh, (laughs) or Daily Westbrook uh, to appease uh, a lot of our fans. But, uh, you know, the trail of the wake of Russell Westbrook uh, is going to be with us for a while. Uh, he's such a you know monumental figure to the team. I I personally uh, I don't know that I would I I don't really root for a lot of other teams uh, or against them. Uh, I try to uh, like John. I I find a lot of teams fun and just enjoy watching them. Uh, so it's not so much of a rooting interest; it's just kind of a general basketball fandom. Uh, I I will say I've. Uh, over the years had a very much a love hate relationship with the Rockets. Um, you know, as a, an appreciator, James Harden and a fan of Chris Paul and Mike D'Antoni. And, you know, I respect, uh, Daryl Morey's style, but the, the way that all came together, uh, they often frustrated my wishes to, (laughs) to just purely enjoy them and not be annoyed, uh, by kind of their, their style and their attitude and all those kind of, you know, standard things that people find it have found annoying about the Rockets. Um, so I'm, I'm really intrigued. Um, I of course would like to see it work out, uh, Westbrook and Harden together. Uh, I'm a, you know, a tad skeptical as a lot of people are over how, um, likely that is, but, uh, if it works, it'll be cool. Um, so I'll definitely be, you know, paying, paying attention. Uh, man, you guys are way too nice. Like I hate the Rockets. Like I've hated that team for a long time, <laughs> and I can't. And I know Russell's on that team now. That's great. I just can't bring myself to root for that team or to be excited about that team. I'll watch them with a lot of intrigue because I want to see what it looks like on the court with those two. Uh, but man, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I need to examine myself and be a little bit nicer because you guys <laughs> are handling that in a lot nicer way than I am. Uh, okay, so I think the last thing that we'll do is we'll have this exercise. I think the, the first part will be easier than the second. Uh, but I think let's, let's predict the starting lineup to begin the season and then predict maybe what the starting lineup could be in March. Um, so basically the, the question is who, who's going to get traded, in your opinion, um, 
in in your expert opinion of predicting things that will happen with this team. Uh, so let's start with just the starting lineup. John, we'll start with you. The, the starting lineup day one. What are your thoughts? Ooh, that's a tough question. Uh, Chris Paul, starting point guard. Um, I guess I'm going to say Terrence Ferguson to be starting shooting guard. Uh, I, you know, if Dre's ready to go, I could see him as the starting small forward. Uh, Danilo is going to be the starting power forward, and Stephen Adams the starting center. Okay, Cray, any disagreements? Nope, I'm just going to copy John. Okay. I, I agree. I think that'll be it. So you guys think Shea's coming off the That's bench? That's boring. For the team. Yes. Yeah, that's that's something that yeah I struggled with um, when I was thinking. You know, and again, I'm not sure what Dre's role is going to be. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been so long since he's played. Because um, I could see, you know, Chris Paul starting at point guard, but Shea starting at the two. And you push Ferguson down to the three. So I, what Dre's role is going to be this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a mystery. To, to know like how healthy he is and how well he can move at this point. Uh, we haven't seen him in a long time on the court. And so is can he keep up with wings on the perimeter? I, I don't know. Like, I have no idea what, what that looks like. And if not, then I think you do have to have Shea and Terrence start at the two and the three because the other options are guys that are very, very unknown and their abilities and and maybe they are known and that they're just not very good. And, uh, so like Cray, like what are your, what are like the options for the thunder at the three to you? Okay. And I have to admit, I, I, I blanked whenever John went through that. I actually think Shea would start over (laughs) Ferguson, but, um, well the options at the three, I mean, it's, it's pretty limited. Uh, like Ferguson is, you know, he gains uh, two pounds every summer, and that's called bulking up. Uh, he, he can't hang with bigger bodies. And then on the, you know, we have uh, Danilo Gallinari as a, you know, more conventional three, but he's, I mean, relative to Ferguson, he's more conventional, but uh, he's not, you know, the the, ty- the type to keep up with the faster perimeter wings either. Um, so I... To, so here's my – I'm kind of agnostic on uh, the importance of the starting lineup. Um, I think there will be a lot of mixing and matching. And honestly, I think it will somewhat come down to not, – not that Billy Donovan will coach this way, but uh, a lot of it I think will come down to who the team is showcasing and, you know, which, you know, which players they want to showcase in what ways – more so than, you know, their on-off impact in a given lineup on one side of the court or the other. Um, so to me, I, I think there will be um, – well, they, I do think they want to develop their young players. I think um, there will be pretty heavy minutes for uh, Gallinari, uh, for Chris Paul, um, for Steven Adams, um, not so much. And those – I mean, they're good players, so it makes sense. But but um, I think those are kind of, and even Dennis Schroeder, I think will probably get a lot more playing time than than a lot of Thunder fans might wish. Um, 
and I think that's just kind of out of necessity of this season uh, of needing to, you know, at least let teams see that they are, you know, good enough players that they, you know, maintain a level of trade and and interest at least through, you know, that winter period leading up to the to trade deadline while they're, you know, in the market for that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and let me ask especially about Schroeder. Um, with Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder on the roster, is Shea going to be at the two no matter what? I th- I think that saying like a, a position for a particular guy is, is, is not going to be the same as it was in the past because like Russell Westbrook was clearly like the point guard and like that was it because he's not, not going to play off the ball and if he's going to play off the ball, he's going to have his hands on his knees. <clears throat> but I think that all three of those guys have played off the ball and can play off the ball a little bit better. And so I think Shea will have time where he's the quote-unquote point guard on the court, even with Chris Paul, where they're going to want him run, want to run the offense some through him. Uh, Chris, Chris Paul's a pretty good spot-up shooter. Um, I think the answer, like nominally, yes, but I don't think that it means like that he won't handle and he's not going to run the offense at some points. Um, but it, it is complicated because what is, is Dennis Schroeder the, the fourth or fifth best guy on the team? And you're like, I, and most fans, like, he's also like kind of a forgotten guy on this roster when you talk about them, but he's, he's a good player. He, he doesn't have a ton of trade value, but he's a guy that when you look at this roster, like he's slowly going to rise to the top when you're ta- like ranking the roster. Uh, so it is complicated. Uh, Cray, I don't know what what you think about that. Yeah, and so I think the the kind of narrative has swung uh, a little too far on Chris Paul as like a toxic teammate and all that kind of thing. Um, however, we do know that he was fairly discontent to play much off the ball in Houston um, for a team that was, you know, a title contender, and. I don't see him being a lot more eager to play off the ball uh, for a team that is in the lottery (laughs) Uh, because, you know, he's going to, you know, he wants to win every single possession and I can just see him getting very frustrated by handing the keys over to another player for possession upon possession that, you know, due to inexperience or lower talent level or whatever it is, doesn't go as well throughout the course of a game, throughout the course of a season. So I, I, I actually do think uh, for as long as he's on the team, Paul will uh, run the offense. And of course, he is a, a good off-ball player, and I think he will play some off-ball, but I think he'll be um, pretty uh, emphatically the, the point guard. Um, sure. And I, I think, and I think Shea is you know, capable. He's so young. Um, I, I think he's better suited to be a primary ball hander than an off-ball player for sure. And I would like to see him develop that way, but I think that's kind of the pecking order, at least coming out of the gate. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think you're actually asking about Schroeder, but uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I kind of Schroeder's in that that weird gap where I mean he's 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 overpaid, he is young, but not young enough or cheap enough to really be a project of interest to the Thunder at this point. Um, but he, he's not enough of a needle mover for, you know, the kind of, um, you know, playoff contenders that, you know, get thrown around around a lot and speculated about on the trade market. So he I think he's going to be just in a 
weird spot. I, I really can't even guess um, other than I think he will probably uh, it'll be in the team's interest to feature him, to continue to feature him. I think Billy Donovan likes him probably more than I do as a player. So I think he'll play and it might be weird. And, you know, Billy's been known to throw three guard line, three point guard lineups even out there. So we might be seeing a good bit of that. Yeah, I think I think they'll have no choice but to do that in spots. Just because I think the other wing options are all kind of question marks. Like you have this group of Abdul Nader and Hamadou Diallo, Deontay Burton. You can even throw Lou Dort in there. Like I don't I don't know what you guys think about who's gonna be the best player out of that group because I think probably one of the worst guys in that group is Nader, but he played the most minutes out of all those guys last year. And so it's hard for, to me, like I would say, yeah, it's going to be Diallo. Like Diallo is going to be the guy. But also I just really have no clue. I don't know if you guys have a feel for that. I think uh, Hammond is the most talented of that group of guys. But, you know, if if you follow Instagram, um, Burton's been putting in work over the summer, you know, you brought up Dort. He's got great two-way potential, you know, off, offense and defense. Um, he just, he looks raw, but he looks like he's got a lot of athletic skill and can be a real player. So it, it's, it's really just how they, how these guys are going to develop. Um, you need to even mention Basley and he's young, raw, but he's got so much room to develop, you know, but finding playing time for all these guys. Cause, uh, most of these guys are weak players. How do we get them involved in a second unit so they get real playing time and can develop in game situations when you know their positions are very similar? Um, I think it's going to be a real challenge for for Billy uh, and also just trying to find ways to develop those their skill sets so that they can be uh, more elevated players, not just sort of secondary bench uh, bit parts. Uh, is yeah, it's something I think to watch and see this season because there is a plethora of young players and a lot of them are unknown quantities. Yeah, not to beat a dead horse, but these guys are all older than Jeremy Grant. So, mm-hmm. like, that to me, they... Obviously, the Thunder want to develop every player, um, but maybe more as, you know, trade sweeteners than, than you know, long-term fits around a, a, a core that kind of doesn't even exist yet so um yeah i, I kind of think the the priority is kind of comes down to potential trade value and then you know as uh we all assume there will be a lot of activity from the thunder you know the, you open up playing time uh when you potentially move a gallo or a chris paul or whoever uh so i it'll i think it'll very much be in flux and we'll see a lot from you know all the way up and down the roster i just could not even come close to guessing how to how to shake out and win. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so let's let's move on to the roster come March. Like what what what's your prediction and we're just making and it's really a guess. Like what do you what's your guess on who's going to be the starters in March? We'll start with Cray. Uh, I made John. I made John go first the last time. So uh, I want. I, how about this? This will be my uh, crazy prediction that I don't necessarily will actually happen. But instead of a starting point guard 
change? Well, I'll, I'll say starters. Um, what'd you say? March. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll say someone, I'll say SGA, uh, Ferguson, um, mystery man at the three. Uh, I th- think that, um, Steven Adams and Muscala will probably both, uh, make it through February with the team most likely. Uh, and the big, uh, change that I would put would be on the DNP side, which would be maybe John wall. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, those are the, so to me, the, the way that the Chris Paul contract, uh, as it stands is, you know, kind of at best a neutral proposition to move it. Right. Sure. And I think, um, well, I'm sure, you know, Presti's a diligent guy that he has at least explored, looked into, you know, other ways of getting value out of Chris Paul. And one way would be to roll him into a worse asset and to get compensated for that. Uh, If the, you know, the true rebuild is not uh, starting today or tomorrow or next season even, then I could see that being a possibility if if ownership could stomach it. (laughs) So. Mm -hmm. Uh, John Wall's contract. So, and there's also the the uh, little uh, note that you know the the salaries of your highest players. So this has been reported on for the Washington side. You know, if they miss so many games, then their salary is insured, and the team is you know recoups a lot of that those millions of dollars uh, if the the player misses most or all of the season due to injury. And I believe that would apply to the Thunder, which would, again, make that a little more palatable maybe to ownership to take on uh, a, a more toxic asset like John Wall. So so it sounds like you think the Thunder are slowly working themselves into the very worst contract in the NBA. <laughs> oh, well, that would – I don't know about slow. That's been uh, – Yeah, you're right. Within, yes. within a calendar year. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right about that. They're quickly trying to acquire the worst contract in the NBA. No, it's fun. It's a, it is an interesting idea because it it will come down to like what are the Wizards willing to give up? Because if if they if the Thunder can get it like a decent asset for Chris Paul in return, and they have to take back John Wall, which that's a tough one to stomach because in twenty twenty three you're paying him forty six point eight million dollars. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> but if you can get like a good asset for him, I mean. The, the Wizards are just crazy enough to do something like that. Yeah, and if Bradley Bill spurns the Wizards, which is a big what-if, then yeah. they're they're basically forced to finally say, okay, we give up. We're actually going to you know, start tearing down. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, any thoughts on the, on the future Thunder there? Yeah, well, I'm going to make a bold prediction. Oh, okay, please. That- Chris Paul will be on the roster in March. Okay. Yeah. So he's going to he's gonna play the whole season with the Thunder. Mm-hmm. The one guy who will be traded will be Gallinari. And so the starting five that I said earlier is going to be the same, except somebody's going to have to play the four. And either that's going to be somebody they acquire in a trade, or it's going to be Muscala, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I think that's an extreme possibility. I think that the Thunder don't really care if he's on the team or not at this point. If they can get a good asset for him or trade him neutrally, I think they will. 
But if they can't, if people are still demanding assets in return, I think you're right. I think that they'll just say, oh, okay, we'll keep him. And we'll try to trade him in the summer. Or we'll try to trade him next season. And I I don't think that the Thunder are panicked in any way with this Chris Paul deal. I think that that this is a cost of doing business. And if they can't make their team better in the future by trading him, then they just won't. I just, yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of in your camp, John, because I think it's not going to be easy to trade Chris Paul, and I think that Sam is in asset accumulation mode, and he's not going to be really willing to give up assets to get rid of him. And I know they have 15 first round picks over the next seven years. Like that's that's a lot, and to give up one, like you still have a lot of picks, but still, I just don't think that they're they're willing to give any of that up at this point, uh, to the point where it, Fans might not be too jacked to have uh, t- to go into year two of this rebuild with Chris Paul. So, uh, okay, I think we're done. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you guys want to plug your Twitter handles and anything that's going on with Daily Thunder, that'd be great. Yeah, thanks again for having us on. Um, I'm just at Cray Allred on Twitter. Um, uh, the most, you know, your listeners would be most interested in what I put on dailythunder.com, though. So, mm-hmm. everybody will be interested. Uh, a John Napier, A J O H N N A P I E R. Um, also, Twitter at Daily Thunder. That's going to be a bomb Twitter. Make sure you follow that if you aren't following it. Yeah. Great. Uh, thanks again for coming on, and uh, we will talk to you guys again soon. Thanks. Thanks. See ya.